What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell, and this episode we're going to be interviewing Matt Villa about Peter Rabbit 2, The Runaway. Now, of course, if you like these interviews, you can always check out FilmmakerU.com. At FilmmakerU.com, we have courses for film professionals to deepen and diversify your existing skill set. You can always get 10% off by using the code AOTG. I'm sure you'll enjoy the courses. Like the new one coming out soon about Sam Pollard, director of the documentary FBI MLK. But with all that said, here's my interview with Matt. How did you get involved with Peter Rabbit 2? Peter Rabbit 2, uh, a friend, a very dear friend of mine uh, cut Peter Rabbit 1, Christian Gazelle, and he uh, had since moved to France when Will Gluck, the director, came back to, to do the second one. And, uh, and Christian very kindly put me up for the job because there's only a few of us in, in Australia that have had experience on working on either animation or hybrid films, and he put me up for the job. Now, when he did so, I was actually working on another film, a Chinese film, which thankfully in hindsight um stopped production halfway through uh we were we were four months into the assembly of this fully mandarin fully chinese film and the guys from peter Rabbit 2 rang me and said are you interested in doing this film and i said i'd love to but i can't because i'm in this involved in this other production and then about three weeks later the other production completely just fell over for reasons uh many and varied and within about two days, the Peter Rabbit 2 people rang back and said, we hear you're a production fellow. <laughs> Are you interested? And I said, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. And so I had a Zoom meeting with Will Gluck, who was still in the States at the time. And we uh, we sort of hit it off. And there we went. There we went. So what are some of the challenges of editing sort of a hybrid of animation and live action that others might not be aware of? Probably the biggest challenge, I'd say, is cutting live action and cutting animation, pure animation. They're two slightly different skill sets. Uh, of course, it's all about storytelling and that kind of thing. But with with live action uh, films, you're kind of given a set of material, a bunch of material, and you kind of have to make it work. You, mm. you, you're constrained to what you've given from set. Whereas fully animated movies, you start with nothing. And, and that's while that sounds like an extraordinary freedom, it, it, it does sort of come with sort of constraints of its own because you can just go any which way. The challenge with hybrid animation is you get given a bunch of material from set, which you have to make work and you're constrained to that. But then when the animated characters are speaking, you've got the freedom to to expand and, and do whatever you like with their characters and their dialogue and so on. But you have to put it against a live action background. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're sort of limited a little bit with how free you can be with the animation because every time you construct something or make something up, which which happens often in the cutting room, you need to make it work against be it the actors or the background plates that were used. And so I think that's, that's probably the biggest challenge is you, you're always constrained by this live action world while having the freedom to expand the animation as much as you like. So it's, it's a little more freedom than a live action film, but a little less freedom than a pure animated movie. When I think of animation editing, it's they're going to do the storyboards, you get a couple takes and you sort of build the take and it might go back and rewrite stuff or redo stuff. So with the animation, were you able to do different variations on the story and, and how did that affect you in terms of structuring the overall project? Yeah, you certainly could. Will Gluck, uh, the director and writer, is incredible at just coming up with new ideas and new gags and new jokes. Uh, and we would try any number of things to, to keep the story going. 
So, yeah, so we were always improvising. We had several different openings to the film, for example, several different uh, wedding scenes. The Highland Farmers Market heist scene in the film was much different uh, than when it was originally conceived. Right? So, yeah, so we were always coming up with new devices and new gags. But once again, once the initial photo, the principal photography had finished, any of those new sort of uh, improvisations had to be confined to the to the to the existing material that was shot mm-hmm. if it was a fully if it was a scene involved that fully involved the animated characters that was okay because we had plenty of black background plates and and that kind of thing but but thankfully part of the process was storyboarding just like with a, a, a purely animated film mm-hmm. we did storyboard a lot in pre-production so the the on-set crew knew the sorts of things they had to go and film in order to to get those scenes and and they usually got enough material that we could sort of bend and stretch that that material to the to the new ideas that we were coming up with how did the heist change it was pretty integral to the story it feels probably the biggest change was where it happened and indeed what the animals kind of mission was initially it was just to go in and and steal the fruit Mm -hmm. um but then we had this whole there was this whole uh idea which is still in there definitely in there in the film as, as it stands but there was a the the farmers being the enemy was a much greater part of the story and there was used, used to this be there's a big song and dance routine in the film mm-hmm. with singing farmers and stuff so telling how evil farmers are and yeah. <laughs> um we sort of started to get cold feet after a while about how badly <laughs> what bad like farmers were coming up because at the end of the day they're, they're really not that bad so that, that that did change a little bit so halfway through photography a, a lot of those a lot of those slapstick gags were kind of reconceived to sort of lessen the the effect on the on the farmers and of course as they got reconceived the onset crew had to sort of uh change the way they were going to film things because there were so many practical effects worked involved and that kind of thing so it was probably just to sort of lessen the effect on farmers that it was that the the scene was happening yeah and of course within that there was uh there's always new jokes and new stopping to deliver new dialogue gags that kind of things in terms of the wedding what changed there was it something other than him kicking him in the face and <laughs> doing his whole sort of <laughs> revenge plot in his mind or was it something else in fact there's a huge big sequence of a shot that we cut from the film which is and it's you can see it a little bit in the in the existing film you know when he kicks him in the face and he mm-hmm. and mcgregor goes flying across to the hits the hedge and his his feet get wrapped up in balloons and he goes yeah. floating away well there was a whole sequence that took place in the air where mcgregor was dangling from these balloons and B grabbed some balloons and went up to save him. Then they both got in trouble and Peter had to actually go up and save them both. And he used uh, Mrs. Tiggy Winkle's spines to pop the balloons to come back down. And they came down and uh, and landed in, in the end. Peter landed and held them both in, the, in their hands like this. It was, all, it, was, it was still a fantasy sequence. Um, but that was a really, really big sequence that we shot and started to work on but we realized that it was just uh it was just all a bit too much so so that was cut but the idea behind the wedding remained the same like it was always Mm -hmm. peter's fantasy that to get rid of mcgregor because um you know um he wanted to be toward himself as a mother figure and uh but yeah it was just it was just reduced right right down from this massive opening sequence to to what what it became are you a fan of the original beatrix potter 
books? I really am. Um, yeah, I really am. Um, the, growing up in Australia, it was it was sort of a big part of my childhood. Probably not as much as as say if, uh, growing up in England and so mm -hmm. on. But but yeah, I was definitely a fan. And there's there's all sorts of. I read the books, and there's all sorts of children's shows and and my little boy my nine-year-old son was is really into the tv show that that preceded the two movies so i was definitely a fan and definitely well aware of the material yeah what i found refreshing about the first film was how it kind of took it and it was it was it got a lot of um, backlash for not being faithful to the to the original material but i i, I found it quite a quite a unique sort of take on the original material well that's what i was going to ask is because some people see her work as the holy grail and don't want it touched and altered. You know, in this one, Barnabas is a whole new character. And in the last one, there was a whole new character. What are the discussions like in the edit suite about these characters and making sure that they live up to the original writing, but allow you guys to do more modern or more unique storytelling? Yeah, well, that no, that's all from Will. That's all from Will's brain and his co-writer. Patrick Burley. Will is very aware of the original material and, and yeah, as, as you say that there's the the characters that pop up in the films are from the original mm -hmm. the original stories and so on. But the edict from the beginning was that we'll use these characters, but like Peter Rabbit too says, it's it's not your grandmother's Peter Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> um, Peter Rabbit 2 is very much an answer to the critics of Peter Rabbit 1 just saying we understand that we're trying something different here, but just bear with us because it's all uh, all material has the right to have a different life and this is the life we're giving it but the the humor that was in the film is very much you speak to will black and that's the kind of humor you get i don't think it ever crossed his mind to not go the go the direction he went i think he he just he, he loved the characters but he wanted to give them this different slant and and then and then in the as far as the how we contributed to into the in the editing room Will's incredibly collaborative so as far as bringing his story team together and, and uh, the storyboard artists and, and myself and so on, um, even the visual effects supervisors and so on, were all invited to come in and, and, and offer jokes and offer a different story. But it was always within that, that construct that, that Will had put together of, of uh, a slightly, you know, adhering to the characters but giving them this new sort of personality. Now, was there a scene or um, a particular moment that was quite challenging for you in the cutting room? Probably, I'd say probably the farmer's market heist. The, 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 both the heist and the setup of the heist. Mm. You know how they sort of go have that scene where they talk about what they're going to do. Yeah. Um, but from a technical point of view, I think that was probably the, the most challenging because there were so many on-set props that needed to be integrated in with the animated characters and one of the one of the challenges of doing this sort of thing is you have to take the timing of what was shot on set be it actors or the or the props department with their various mechanical devices that knock over piles of cheese or or blow curry powder into a farmer's face and so on and and integrating that in with knowing how long it is going to take the animated characters to do their thing before that special effect takes place mm -hmm. so it was kind of that, that was probably the scene that combined the most amount of constructing a rhythm that for, for the animated characters that would one day be there i mean the true it's the same can be said of any number of scenes where um you've, you've got to give time for them to, to deliver their dialogue and so on but 
no one knows how long it's going to take the rabbit to jump up and knock a pile of cheese over. <laughs> so you've got to sort of really in, in, incorporate that. And it's, it's, it's so it took a took a lot of cutting and recutting just to get those rhythms right in taking into account all of the, the various aspects from the set. That was going to be one of my questions is how do you get the pacing down when there's something not there? Or there's like a guy standing there in a green suit. How do you work with the animators to get that timing right? Well, that's a really great, that's an awesome question. And thankfully, uh, the where I was cutting the film was the same place that was doing the visual effects, which is a place called Animalogic in Australia. Mm-hmm. So my cutting room was in the same building. There's always a storyboard crew on the film. Uh, so they would do their storyboards uh, and I would cut those and often just you know, temp di- put the temp dialogue in myself uh, standing in for the animated characters. So you'd cut that and get that into a rhythm because Will was very, Will Buck was very, um, very insistent on having the camera move the way it would in a live action film. So, uh, you know, if a rabbit was walking down the street, he wanted to really crane down on them or pan around with them and that sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. of course, when the when the onset crew were were shooting their plates, they needed to have the rough timing of how long those cranes would be or how long the tracking the tracks would be. So I'd, I'd cut the storyboard sections for that to rhythm them up. And then the plate unit would go off and, and shoot those. Then I'd cut the plates when the plates came back, cut the plates together, maintaining that same dialogue. And then the storyboard crew would do new storyboards that would go over the top of the over the top of the plates, just to make sure the timing of the of the camera moves were right and so on. And then I'd give that to the animators. And then, of course, as the animation happens, they add their own. The animators add their own nuances to the characters and the. And the speed of the characters I may have had wrong, so it really is a bit of a an evolving thing. They they show me their work, I show them how I've used their work. They can adjust the speed of their animation to to match the what needs to happen for the cut. So it was a really awesome, uh, fluid experience because we were all together and we could sort of show each other each other's work, sort of evolve like that. Now I have one last question that I like to ask everyone I interview. What would you say your favorite guilty pleasure film is to watch? Oh, wow, there's so many. <laughs> there's so many. Do you know, I, um, I reckon that I think the, the, the way to best judge that is if you're sitting in front of the TV, and, and very few of us watch live-to-air TV anymore, yeah. um, but if you are and you're channel surfing and a film comes on and you stop and you think, oh, I'll just watch the next commercial break, and then the next commercial break comes in. Oh, I'll just watch the next commercial break. That's, that's oh. my exact, whenever someone's like, oh, what do you mean? That's exactly what I say. <laughs> <laughs> and so if it's, I mean, there's so many, Gordon, but I think yeah. um, j- just to name a few, I think uh, probably the first Die Hard film. Oh, yeah. Um, Shawshank Redemption. I can't yeah. tell you how many times I've come in the middle of that and watched it at the end. Apollo 13. Uh, I didn't need us to say, you know, Back to the Future. And, yeah, and, uh, of course. But there's so many, so yeah. many. <laughs> what an awesome question, though. <laughs> Thank you so much for letting me interview you today. Oh, my pleasure, Gordon. Thank you so much for your, for your time. So that was my interview with Matt. I'd like to thank Matt Villa for allowing me to interview him. I'd also like to thank Evan Winch for cutting this episode. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.